What's good, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast with your host, yours truly, Josh Yields, here on this Wednesday, June the 30th, the year 2021. Got lots to do, lots to talk about as far as the world of sports uh, is concerned. Uh, recap games uh, three and four of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals and recap games four and five of the Western Conference Finals and look ahead to games, uh, game five of the Eastern Conference Finals on Thursday and game six of the Western Conference Finals here on this Wednesday, uh, here on this Wednesday. Give you my two cents on Serena Williams dropping out of, uh, Wimbledon over across the pond. Uh, Chauncey Bullops is the new, uh, Trailblazers, uh, head coach, uh, so we'll get into a little bit of that. And uh, Jason Kidd is the new Dallas Mavericks head coach. There'll be a lot of NBA today with a little bit of uh, tennis mixed in uh, with uh, as far as Serena Williams is concerned. Uh, I was going to I was going to do and talk about the absolute assault that uh, that Kyle Schwarber, he of the Washington Nationals, is doing on the baseball, setting records of uh, of leadoff guys uh, hitting hitting home runs all over the place in in a period of a month span uh which is hell which is hella impressive granted the fact that you know back in you know back at least not to sound old I understand I'm only 19 years old but when I was growing up you know the Sean Figgins the Brian Roberts the um the uh I'm trying to think who uh the each the Ichiro Suzuki's the uh you know those type of players the guys that that would on average hit about 10 to 10 to maybe 20 home runs a season at the most those guys were your traditional leadoff hitters the guys that you know could get on base whether it's they could bunt they had great contact against left and right-handed starting pitching um and they odds are were our odds are more times than not the fastest guy on the team. That still applies with a couple of teams. Uh, my Orioles, for instance, Cedric Mullins, Cedric Mullins, who leads, I believe, still leads the American League in hits as of right now. He he still fits that that I don't want to say stereotype, but fits that description of your traditional leadoff hitter that a lot of that you all out there that's a lot older than me, you know, grew up watching so he he's st- so it you still find it here and there but i was going to give you schwarber and otani and tatis who are hitting the cover off the ball and have gone absolutely bonkers here in the month of june until you had that serena uh serena dropping out of wimbledon and whether or not her career is in jeopardy and everything else and you know is you can only talk about but so much you got nba playoffs and you got this nba coaching news so i will get to that Hopefully on set, I understand the June will be over and Schwarber might be in a slump the first couple of days of July when I talk to you guys on July the 3rd, but, but 
I will get to the baseball as far as those guys are concerned. Otani, who's gone absolutely bonkers here in the Bronx as he plays, uh, as he pitches tonight in the Bronx for the first time in his career tonight against the Yankees. I will get into that. I I'm tempted to, but I'm not going to go the route of killing Aaron Boone, which he deserves it for giving Aaron Judge uh, a day off and having him not face Otani. I mean, the Yankees who are, and I looked and I had it in front of me uh, before I started the show, the Yankees who are 41 and 38 and five games out of a playoff spot and we're and we're resting Aaron Judge at the end of at the end of June when the All-Star break is literally in 2 weeks. I mean, that's a joke. I saw so I could go there and I was tempted to go there. That news came down about a half hour or so before I hit the record button of this show. So I was tempted to go there. I I'm not going to let it slide. I'm going to address it on I'm gonna address it this weekend because because more because most likely you won't have any NBA games. Maybe possibly you won't have an NBA game uh, to look for me to recap or for me to preview. Uh, we have the finals Tuesday, but yeah, I, I'll go to baseball route. I'll save the baseball for Fourth of July weekend, and I will do heavy NBA with a little bit of tennis mixed in here on this Wednesday program. But the fact that Boone is not playing Aaron Judge is a complete joke. On top of the fact that you know it's it's Otani's, who's everybody's flavor of the month. He, you can make the argument, argument that he is the best player. I would disagree with that, but you can make the argument that he is the best player in the sport. He captured, he's he's not, now granted, the Angels coddle him, and here I am going to talk about this and go in a little bit, but I got to get this off my chest a little bit without getting too deep, and then I'll get into, of course, uh, Giannis and the Bucks and the Hawks and everything else, but, you know, you, you, you know he's plays for the Angels, which I understand that, but it, he's the second. He plays for the second team in the city of Los Angeles. It's his first time ever in his career in the Bronx, playing in the Bronx in New York in New York against the Yankees. That's the second thing, you know. And then of course the Yankees, who are reeling as it is, they lost Game One of their series on Monday night against the Angels. They beat the brakes off. The Angels have no pitching. They stink. Uh, they beat the brakes off of the Angels last night, despite Otani going deep twice on Tuesday night. And the Yankees, who, like I said, are a mere forty-one and thirty-eight, just a a, a, a few games, thirty uh, one, one, two, about three games over five, three games over five hundred, and five games out of a playoff spot. And in their division, I would imagine that's the wild card. Um, but within their division, they I, I if I'm not mistaken, because the Orioles all of a sudden are playing like the freaking 1971 team, that uh, 1971 team that lost the World Series to the Pirates, they got they get embarrassed in Houston on all of last week when they were in Baltimore, they come they come to Houston to play the Astros, who are World Series champions and heading into last weekend when they were playing Detroit or riding an 11-game winning streak. Now, all of a sudden, you can't get the Orioles out. They've combined for like 30 hits this series and uh, and, have, and have scored 22 runs in two games. But anyway, that's not the end or there. The Yankees, three games 
three games over 500, seven and a half back of first place, and five games out of wild card spot. And Aaron Judge can't be bothered to play against the game's brightest and most intriguing stars and the two-way Japanese player in Shohei Otani. That's a joke. I will save Aaron Boone uh, his uh, verbal assault for Saturday's episode. But as of right now, we talk about the NBA Eastern Conference and the Milwaukee Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks. Um, Milwaukee took care of business in Game Three, winning one thirteen to one hundred two to take a two one to take a two one series lead. Atlanta, uh, Atlanta, who did not play, you know, Trey Young, he did, his, you know, he had a good game uh, in Game Three. Hurt his uh, and tweaked his ankle when he went to after a, he went and stepped back. He put his foot out of bounds. I did not blame that on the ref, you know, and I didn't. No, I didn't see that play. I saw the game, of course, but I didn't see that play live. I was, you know, doing something, went to the bathroom, looked at my phone for two seconds and saw that he put his foot back and stepped on the ref. I did not, uh, I, you know, originally when I heard it, it was like, oh, the ref hurt Trey Young. Sorry about that. But, oh, the ref hurt Trey Young. I said, what? So then I go back and look at the replay. It's like, well, Trey Young, who is not that tall as it is, you know, took a giant step back, went out of bounds and stepped on the referee's foot. So, which, you know, not the referee's fault, it's his. He's got to be a little bit better aware of his surroundings. So he tweaked his ankle and did not play in game four last night, but he had 35 points, uh, 12 of 23 from the field, 6 of 14 from three, uh, and had a four rebounds and a steal for Atlanta in their game in their game three loss while, uh, while Chris Middleton absolutely went, went off. Off had 38 points, 15 of 26, 6 of 12, shot 50% from three, uh, 11, re- 11 rebounds and seven assists for Chris Middleton, who scored 38 points in their game three win. And their game three win on Sunday. He and Giannis in game in game three combined for uh, 70 combined for. Did I do that math right? 30 plus the 30 combined for 71 points. Uh, in game three on Sunday night, Giannis was thirteen to twenty-one from the field. Uh, you know, so very still very spotty at the free throw line, six to thirteen. But he did rack up eleven boards, uh, four assists, and two steals in the game in his thirty-three point for performance for Milwaukee. And that is all. She, and that is all she wrote. But give, but give credit and all the credit in the world before I go into game four to Chris Middleton, who played absolutely out of his freaking mind. Uh, he. He by himself outscored the Atlanta Hawks twenty to seventeen in the fourth quarter, and the way and they combined, like I previously stated, seventy one points, twenty two rebounds, eleven assists, and between the two of them combined, they shot fifty nine, near sixty percent from the field. An absolutely phenomenal performance from Middleton in particular, and also Giannis, who wasn't too shabby either with his thirty three points. But like, but having said, but having said all of that. Why? But having said all of that, uh, Middleton has done it for. And here's the thing about Middleton and the Bucks: you have to keep an eye on the fact that Giannis may be the Bucks' best player, multiple MVP winner, whole nine may be their best player, but Middleton is their most important player. When Middleton cannot shoot the ball off a boat into the ocean, and cannot make jump shots, and gets 10 to 15 to maybe in the low 20s points if he's playing in garbage time, the odds are the the Milwaukee Bucks are not going to win the basketball game. 
you know, for a perfect example, and I read you because the other night, uh, not game three, but the other night, he was absolutely horrendous. In game in game four on game four last night, which I'll get to, uh, in game four last night, which I'll get to. But go back and look at game one when they lost to, when they lost to Atlanta in game one. Fifteen points, twenty six percent from the field, f- uh, five rebounds, four assists, two steals, and they lost that game by three, one sixteen to one thirteen. Uh, played a little. It only scored 15 points, but had a better night shooting the basketball in game two. Game three, of course, like I'm going over, he had 38. And game four, which shockingly they lost, he he shot terrible. 35 percent from the field, turned over the basketball four times and and 16 points. So you see the theme, and this is just in this series alone. I'm not even going back to the Brooklyn series, but the theme that you're noticing here is that when Giannis is off. Or not Giannis. When Middleton is off, the Bucks are off. When Middleton is on, the Bucks are on. So, regardless, and I understand Giannis was hurt in Game Four, and it was all Christmas, and it was a one-man show on Tuesday night. But in Game One, in Game One's uh, case and scenario. You know, when he shoots t- 26% from the field, the the Bucks are not going to... Their chances of winning go into the toilet. They need Middleton to play well and need Middleton to rack up his points. And they especially need him to make his jump shots. Because when you go back and look at his line, and if, he sh- and if his field goal percentage looks like, uh, you know, is in the same category as temperatures in the East Coast and in, in the Mid-Atlantic, Northeastern part of the country and Midwest part of the country during uh during December, January, and February, you got a problem. Twenty six percent, thirty five percent from the field, not good enough. Shoot forty five, fifty, fifty five, or in Game Three's case, fifty seven when he had the thirty eight points. Now you hook him with gas. Shooting 35% and 26% from the field. And in the game four uh, cases scenario uh, on a Tuesday night, in Tuesday night's game, turning over the basketball four times is not a recipe for winning basketball. So he, Giannis is their best player, which is part of the reason why they, now granted Giannis didn't get injured until the second half of game four and they were losing when he went down, but Giannis is their is their best player, but Middleton is their most important player. If Middleton is not playing well and he's having a god awful night shooting the basketball, the Milwaukee Bucks will not most likely more times than that, nine times out of ten, will not win the basketball game. Case of point. They need him to shoot to shoot the ball well in order for him to win games. And when he doesn't, that's a recipe for disaster. Now I bring up Tuesday night's game last night in which they lost a 110 to 88. Giannis, or excuse me, Middleton, like I said, uh, a 16 point uh, performance could not make a three. All of seven from beyond the arc turned over the basketball four times. Giannis, who uh, Giannis, who as a matter of fact, I'm gonna bring this up because this came down courtesy of Woj earlier this afternoon. There's no structural damage in Giannis Antetokounmpo's left knee after he, you know, when he hyperextended it uh, in last night's game. Ligaments are sound. 
um, timetable to return is unclear. That's via Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. And the Bucks list Giannis as doubtful for Game 5 on Thursday night with a hyperextended left knee. So there will be no Giannis for Game 5 on Thursday, which means that Chris Middleton has to flush, flush his second poor performance of the series, flush it down the toilet, and take the Paul George approach, which I will get to after this first break, and take the Paul George approach, put everybody, put his team, put P.J. Tucker, Giannis's brother, uh, who else? Who else? Uh, put uh, Holiday, Brooke Lopez, everybody wearing a Milwaukee Bucks uniform, put them on his back and single-handedly take over the series, get his macho on, pull his big boy pants up, and go ape you-know-what on the, on the Atlanta Hawks come Thursday night. Because with Giannis out and with Giannis sideline, that is how you're going to win playoff series. That is how you... That is where uh, you separate the men from the boys on playoff basketball. You do not... When, the, when, the, when, when you are the number two, Paul George is the number two with the Clippers... Uh, and and the case in point when Chris Paul was banged up in the Lakers series, you put the team if you want to prove to everyone within the NBA and sports fans and NBA fans watching on television all over the country, you want to prove to us that you are a big time player. And I'm not going so far as all time great, but you but you're but you're a solid All Star and 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 a, and a very good caliber of a, of a basketball player. This is where you prove it. In the playoffs, football, you, you hear it all the time. It's next. It's a next man up mentality. The, uh, one of our big star guys is, is down. He's wounded. He's injured. What are you going to do to pick up the slack to make sure that we as a team do not miss a beat? Devin Booker did his part in the Lakers series in the opening round when Chris Paul was sidelined for the majority of that series with a bad shoulder. You saw, you've seen Paul George do it the last, the uh, games, uh, games uh, six and seven uh, against Utah in the second round, and the last, and in the last, uh, and in the last couple of games, last couple of nights in their in their conference final series against Phoenix, you've seen Paul George done it, do it. You've seen. A Booker do it in the opening round against the Lakers. This is Chris Middleton's time to step up, put his team on his back. Get this series to 3-2, win game six, or excuse me, win game five, to put his team in a situation to head into game six and win the Eastern Conference. Flush. Tuesday night's performance, down the drain. It's over, done with, wipe your hands clean, move on. Put your team on your back and get the job done. Because you saw it, you saw it with Atlanta. Trey Young didn't play. Who, you know who picked up the slack? Lou Williams, Bogdan Dogjanovic, Kevin Hooter picked up the slack. 21 20 15 points. Clint Capella, the center, 15 points. Picked up the slack. Gallinari coming up the bench scored 10. They picked up the slack. Their best player was gone. Their alpha dog was wounded. Everybody else. Now there's no necessary now it's a different dynamic because there's no because there's no real number two in Atlanta. 
But it's the same concept and it's the same idea. Our best guy is down, next man up. Who's going to step up and who's going to pick up the slack? And for Atlanta on Tuesday night, it was Lou Lemon Pepper Williams, Bogdan Yanovich, and Game 7 hero Kevin Hooter. Lots to get to. We're just getting started. We'll get to the Western Conference Finals. Don't go anywhere. This is the Amatelica TIS Podcast. Welcome back to the I'm Telling to Tell You is podcast. Switching gears now to the Western Conference Finals as we go through games four and five of that series. Um, we'll begin with game four, uh, and it's funny. You know, we've had two games, two games in the in the same postseason, let alone in this in this month of June as we're coming down to the end of it. Where uh, you where you've had the winning team score eight score in the mid eighties and end up uh, and end up winning the game June tenth of course in the Bucks second round game I believe that was game you know why why should I bother guessing I had all this technology in front of me I might as well bother to look it up but um you had the Nets score eighty six when they beat the Mets June tenth. That game, that was game uh, three. That was game three of that series against the Nets, in which they, uh, in which uh, the Bucks beat the Nets, eighty six, eighty three, June tenth. Uh, and then, of course, this past Saturday, you had the you had the Suns take care of business against the Clippers, eighty four to eighty. We've had two games in this in the same in the in this postseason and in the same month even where the winning team scored in the mid scored in the mid eighties. Bucks had eighty six, Suns had eighty four. That those and those two teams fewest points scored in a win this NBA season. Uh, and then the third time that it is that this has happened, you got to go back to February nineteenth if you can remember a regular season game between uh, the between the Toronto slash Tampa Raptors going up against the Timberwolves, in which they scored eighty six points in their win uh, back in mid February. But you go back inside the fourth quarter in that game on Saturday, it was I mean it was a sight for I mean I I don't love every NBA game when they score into the into the one twenties and reek into the one thirties. So I you know so you got to play a little defense you know not less is more in some aspects. But that what but that was that was rough to watch. We got to be honest. You know we, there were there were only seven there were only seven made field goals. Seven made field goals combined between the two teams in the fourth quarter. And if you do the math, that seven made that seven made field goals out of thirty-eight attempts. 
that is of 18 field goal percentage combined between the two teams in the fourth quarter. Combined made seven shots, 18 com- 18 as between the two of them. Eight they both shot 18% from the field in the fourth quarter and made a combined seven baskets. Both of those teams attempted 19 shots. Suns were 4 of 19. Clippers were 3 three of 19. And they both of them combined were 0 of 9 attempt, at attempting three-point shots. And the Suns outscored the Clippers by 1, 15 to 14 in the fourth quarter. And the Clippers were 0 of 12 from the field with a chance to tie the game or take the lead. They were Absolutely atrocious, atrocious in game four on Saturday night. They they all shot. We'll go with the Clippers first because they lost. You know, Paul George, who scored 23, he and Reggie Jackson were the only two players for the Clippers that scored more than 20 points. Reggie Jackson had 20, and Paul George had 23. They both were, uh, were, uh, ungodly bad at shooting the basketball. George was 5 of 20, 1 of 9 from 3, and Reggie Jackson uh, was 8 of 24 and shot 2 of 9 from 3. Patrick Beverly attempt was 1 of 4 from the field, had 2 points. Uh, Marcus Morris was 2 of 8 from the field and had 4 points. And Zubak, the center, was the only player wearing a uh, Clipper uniform on Saturday night. They had a Decent night, fairly decent night shooting the basketball. He was five of eight from the field uh, and had and had thirteen points and and fourteen rebounds. And then you look at the Phoenix Suns; they had you know outside you know Booker who did not who was not great shooting the basketball by any stretch of the imagination had twenty five points at eight of twenty two of shooting. Uh, and then of course Chris Paul eighteen points, six of twenty two from the field. Aiton eight of fourteen from the field, nineteen points. Bridges and Crowder, you know, Bridges shot fifty percent from the field, and Jay Crowder was was uh, was one of six from three and one of eight from the field altogether with with three lousy points. As a team, Phoenix shot thirty six percent from the field and twenty from three, and the and the Clippers shot. Uh, shot 16% from three and 32% from the field. And the game essentially, if you want to, you know, if you want to uh, nitpick and really get down and gritty with it, the, it came down to free throws. The Suns made 85% of their free throws while the Clippers only made 65% of theirs. So, I mean, the Clippers won the turnover battle, but there you go. I mean, the both teams had a very rough night in game 4. The offense showed up in game the offense of uh, picked up a little bit, not a little bit, but picked up in game 5 as the Clippers took in business 116 to 102. I said the Phoenix Suns, you know, they got that one bad game out of the way cuz they were running that nine game win streak last Thursday. No excuses now. Well, now there's definitely no excuses because you cannot allow a team that has came back twice in this postseason, two games down. There were two games down to Dallas, two games down uh, in the hole to Utah, 
and they can't and they ended up coming back and winning this series. They were down two games to none against Phoenix, and they're one away from uh, from coming back to tie this series at three apiece and forcing a game seven. Phoenix up three one, no excuses. I understand it's a young team. I understand the coach. Young, I get all that. But if you're Chris Paul, who's blown many a postseasons in your in your uh, in your career, you got it. You cannot, under any circumstances, blow another one, no less to an old team of yours in the L.A. Clippers with a trip to the NBA Finals on the line, in which he has never in his career participated in. And and it, and it just sh- and 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 and, uh, and the praise of the Clippers, it, it just goes to show that. All you need is is a good, solid head coach to eat, you know. And and if the Clippers don't now, granted that with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, you do expect championships. Don't get me wrong, but but I, I maybe I may be speaking out of pocket here. But regardless, what happens, this Clippers season is a success. I mean. The the Clipper fans with higher standards than yours truly, and the Clipper uh and the Clipper critics with higher expectations than yours truly may think otherwise. But you gotta get. I mean, it just goes to show how much of uh, how much a head coach ha- has a uh, has a how much a head coach and a good head coach, whether it's basketball or football, how much how much a good coach uh, is is the difference. Because it literally the roster, I mean, outside of maybe a, a few players in it, but the state, but the core of this roster is no different. And the Clippers are two wins away from getting to an NBA Finals for the first time in their history, and one win away if they can win tonight to in front of their home crowd to force a Game Seven. Where they were down 2-0 the first two rounds of the, of of the of this series and showed tremendous grit and showed tremendous guts and toughness and as the old uh, Buffalo Bills and Coach Marv Levy loved to say moral fiber to come back tie those series up and uh, and end up and take this and take the series out of the jaws of Luka Doncic and uh, and Donovan Mitchell and the first and the first two rounds of the playoffs back in uh, May and early June. And, and and another thing too, I don't want to hear anyone give, and I haven't heard it, but I'm I'm just saying, I don't want to hear anyone say anything about Tyron Lue and the fact that well, you know LeBron, you know LeBron, you know LeBron was on LeBron and Kyrie Irving were on the team in 2016. They had the three games, the one lead. All right, fine. Well, is the is LeBron an all time great? Yes. Is Kyrie Irving an all time great? Yes. But still, the last time I checked, there was more players on that 2016 uh, Cavalier roster than Kyrie Irving and LeBron James. And both of the, and the funny thing is, both of them on their own separate teams were in the playoffs. Both they're both they're both. Uh, sitting at home on the couch, and Tyron Lue is still coaching. So factor that in. But, but, but still, he's a hell of a coach. 
I mean, he, I mean, he, he's got he's got to coach the the uh, the the um the Matthew Delavadovas, the J.R. Smiths, the Kevin Loves of the world, you know, not to essentially give in and and essentially wave the white flag to what could have been the greatest NBA team of all time, the 2015-16. Uh, Golden State Warriors, they could have said, you know what, well, they're a historic team, everything's gone right for them all season long, they won 73 games in a regular season, I guess it just ain't for us, guys, they're too good of a team, they didn't do that, they did not give in, and they did not wave the white flag, they fought back, and they scratched, and clawed, and fought the way back to do what prior to them, no team, and the history of the NBA is done and has come back from a 3-1 series deficit in the NBA Finals and cemented their legacy as one of the greatest comeback stories and not just in the history of the NBA, but in the history of American, of American team sports and that 3-1 comeback. Not to mention the legacy that that resides, and the fact that them being the is the fact that that Cavalier team being the first Cleveland North American North American Pro Sports team to win a championship since the Browns back in the fifties did it, and the most recent one still yet to do so. Cleveland, we'll see. That would not shock me if you see the Browns in the Super Bowl sometime in the 2020s. They're on the right path. And the Cleveland Indians were an eyelash. Hell, a rain delay. A rain delay away from winning the World Series and keeping that Cubs drought going. Literally, a rain delay. Rajay Davis hits the game time hits the game tying home run off of Chapman who who uh who Joe Madden made sure he he uh, gassed and made sure that Chapman was running on fumes fumes in that game 6 had him on fumes Rajay Davis hits the game tying home run off of Chapman and he, who was gassed in that series in, in game 7 of the 8th inning tie the game up about an hour or so later the rains come in, and all the momentum, if you recall that series, was on the Cleveland Indian side. All the momentum, the rain delay comes, Jason Hayward gives his little speech, and then Ben Zobris, the World Series hero for the Kansas City Royals the year before, gives the Cubs their first World Series championship in 108 years. But anyway, it's not an end or there. My overall point is bringing this back is that Tyron Lewis, a hell of a coach, and deserves his credit, deserves his respect, and deserves his props. Hell of a coach. Came down two games to none. His team was down two games to none. And back-to-back series, found, and they found a way to win them. And in the Utah series, they found a way to do it without their best player in, in Kawhi Leonard. And they're two wins away from doing what no Clipper team has ever done before. And that's going to an NBA final. And he has accomplished what no Clipper coach before him has accomplished. And that's get the Clippers to a Western Conference Finals. Deserves his credit. I don't want to air well it was the fact that it was LeBron. Not, nonsense. Tyron Lu, make the argument, Tyron Lu may just be. And I don't want to be, uh, be too caught up in recency bias, but you can make the argument. And I wouldn't necessarily fight you off on it that Tyron Lue is the best coach in the NBA. Make the argument. 
Steve, Steve, Steve Nash, uh-uh. Frank, Frank Vogel running out, uh, Kyle Kuzma, no thank you. Tyron, Doc Rivers, enough of him. Thibodeau, as, as great as he was this season, got, it was beaten five games in the opening series. Scott Brooks, whatever his name is, with Washington, got got the uh, got the pink slip. Tyron Lue is, is legit, and so is uh, and so is Paul George, who has been a man on a mission this postseason. He is leading the postseason. He is first in points, points in minutes. He's second among in the playoff rankings in field goals made, free throws made, although that although the the uh the two missed free throws, if you know, although even if the Suns end up winning this series, he won't be able to sleep uh because of the fact that he missed those two free throws, which would have put uh the Clippers away in game two and would have prevented uh the Suns of having the opportunity with that inbound pass to to Crowder to Aiton with about eight tenths of a second left in the fourth quarter of uh, game two last week. He's third in the playoff rankings and rebounds and fifth in assists. So Paul George, who 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 gets knocked and rightfully so, gets knocked and gets ridiculed and criticized, and again rightfully so, it's all warranted if you're a player making as much money as he is, who wants to be considered one of the game one of the game's best right now, deserves to be criticized. Boogie Cousins, that's how this works. If you're a big time player, you know supposedly rumored to be or have been considered a big time player in 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 uh, Paul George's pass in his career, whether it's with Indiana or whether it's with the Oklahoma City Thunder, you deserve to get criticized. The great ones do. Barkley did. Ewing did. Hakeem Olajuwon did. All of the great ones in there, whether it's all, whether it's all time in the history of the sport or in the era that they played in, got criticized and got ridiculed by the by the. Now they didn't have Twitter back in the day. I understand that, but all of them did by the people on television, people on radio, the newspaper column, the newspaper columnists, the fans, the people on Twitter, everybody. They got criticized because it's it's how this works. It's it's the nature of the beast. They make all this money. They can take it. He's a grown man. He can take it. So I don't want to hear Boogie Cousins or any uh, Clipper fan or anyone in Paul George's camp, his parents, nobody, sitting up here and, and, and moaning, groaning, complaining, bellyache about, about poor Paul George getting criticized and getting mocked and ridiculed uh, by people in the media and the fans on Twitter. First off, that's if you're a grown man that's and, and, you, and, you, and your self-esteem and your ego and you're that mentally soft and that mentally weak to pay attention with people on Twitter. I have to say, you you know, you need to find something else better to do with your life. Uh, and that's the first thing. And second thing is it's the nature of the beast. You're in the public, you're in the public eye. You're, in, you're a public figure celebrity. If you, if you want to call Paul George that making millions of dollars, playing a kid's game in basketball, playing playoff games in front of national and on national television in front of everybody and 20,000 people sitting in an arena every single night, take it, grow, have the, put your big boy pants on, grow some balls and take it. 
Now he's done he's done an excellent job in responding to that criticism and making the critics like yours truly and everybody else put away the pandemic P memes and because he's done an absolutely phenomenal job. He had twenty two had twenty two points, shot nine of sixteen from the field. Uh, had three rebounds, two assists, and a steal uh, in their game five. In their game five victory, or excuse me, that's Marcus Morris's stats. What the, what the heck am I even talking about? This okay. This would make more sense. Forty-one points. That was Marcus Morris senior stats. I apologize. Looking at the wrong thing there. And Paul George was fifteen of twenty, missed five whole jump shots on in game five. Was shot three of eight from, or excuse me, three of six from three. Forty-one points. Perfect at the free throw line, 13 rebounds, 6 assists, 3 steals in the game for the Clippers in game 5. And I also give Reggie Jackson, his his dude played phenomenal, 23 points, 8 of 14 from the field. And I read you Marcus uh, Moore senior stats by mistake. So he's done a good job. You know, and like I said, he's, you know, he's first, he's, he's carried the load first in the, in the, in the playoffs in minutes and points, second in, in field goals and free throws and three pointers made third and third and rebounds. So give him his credit. He's had an excellent, he's had an excellent postseason outside of a couple of uh, bad moments, game two with the two missed free throws. So, and he put up 41 points in game five, 41 points in game five was not, was not very good in game four. Very good and uh, very, I wouldn't say very good, but but good in game three. Uh, g- g- game two, he was solid. Game one, he was game one. Although he shot thirty eight percent from the field, he had thirty he had thirty four points and what and uh, and had his contribution uh, in the points column in game one against Phoenix. And he's had a phenomenal postseason. The last in the last uh, couple of games that he had to close out uh, Utah in the second round were phenomenal. So he's for the most part in the, in the playoffs so far. Again, outside of a couple of bad moments in there, he's done his job and he's and he's shut up the critics, the critics, and he has put to bed the pandemic p memes and a pandemic p trolling. So give him credit for that. But at the same time, I don't want to hear the the the, uh, the boogie cousins of the world who have done absolutely nothing in their NBA careers and anyone in, the, in Paul George's camp. Or any Clipper fan be his water boy and sit up here and and say, well, how dare how dare the people on on uh, on television and in radio writes for the newspapers and then of course the fans on the fans and the people on Twitter how dare they uh, ridicule and make fun of and rag and 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 criticize and critique uh and and critique Paul George. This is the NBA, folks. Okay, this is this is this isn't this isn't uh this isn't middle school, this isn't your varsity high school team, this isn't uh AAU basketball. Okay, these the big boys, the big boys, grown men getting paid millions playing in the National Basketball Association, getting paid handsomely, playing in front of millions on television, thousands in arenas. With a blue check mark next to their social media account username, they can take it. Believe me, believe me, they can take it. And if they can't take it for whatever the reason, they need to go. They need to go find another profession. Go, you know, be, get 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 into sales or something where nobody knows your name, where you where you know where you go on social media and nobody pays attention to you. You 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 know you're walking down the you're walking down the streets of uh, of downtown Los Angeles 
or uh, Rodale Drive or or L.A. Live or or uh, Huntington Beach or or um, or Venice Beach or somewhere somewhere in the in the greater Los Angeles area or up in the mountains with Mike and the O.C. where you don't get recognized. Okay. He's done a phenomenal job shutting the critics up, critics up. But I don't want to hear the DeMarcus Cousins of the world sit up here and get on people like yours truly who who in good fun make fun of DeMarcus Cousins when he had when he when he when it's big boy time, it's the playoffs and, and he and he doesn't show up. And, and and you know, and he perform and he performs like crap, getting paid the money that he the, getting paid the money that he's getting paid to to make. And 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 Paul George is supposedly supposed to be one of the top twenty, top fifteen best players in the NBA. And then come playoff time, whether it's in the bubble or wherever he's playing, he plays like crap. That that's unacceptable. And it's naive and it's asinine to think and to get on the people on social media and the people who are who are in the media getting paid to comment to provide commentary on how he plays it's dumb for DeMarcus Cousins to 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 expect not otherwise i mean get your head out of the clouds DeMarcus and pay attention will you please I mean, he, he he's he said that at, at the end at the end of of game at the end of game five on uh, on Monday night, and I was like, "The Marcus, well, yeah, what are you kidding me?" I mean, jeez. I mean, it, I mean, I mean, and the Martin and the Marcus Cousins now, who were you know who didn't who didn't win a thing with the Sacramento Kings for all the years there. Led you know led the league probably in technicals and ejections and flagrants and God knows what else did it, did everything but win basketball games. So he's with the Sacramento Kings is going to now lecture basketball fans and the people in the in and the basketball uh people and the basketball fans within the media of essentially just providing their their honest opinion. And God forbid we make fun of somebody because they play because they because they have a crappy playoff game in front of millions of people watching on television. My God Almighty! You know, and 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 I don't know if Demarcus Cousins realizes this, but uh, if Paul George would if if Paul George would have made the two free throws, would have would have made the two free throws in game two. You wouldn't be in a. You wouldn't even game five. Wouldn't even wouldn't have even been an elimination game to begin with. You all aren't essentially having to go up against elimination for the rest of the series if Demarcus Cousins makes the two free throws. So he missed the two free throws to cost the Clippers a game two. What he wanted to, to throw bouquets at him? Get a clue. DeMarcus Cousins now, who didn't win a thing in his life with the Sacramento Kings. Really? He wouldn't have had to essentially, you know, go Superman on everybody if if he hadn't missed the free throws in game two. 
Jeez. And DeMarcus Cousins is the same idiot that didn't even know the rule at the end of game four. If you got the stupid rule that when you have to intentionally miss a free throw, you got to hit the rim. You idiot. Got to the free throw line with four, with five eighths of a five and, and an eighth of a second left in in the fourth quarter in Game Four, and having that when when the Clippers are in a situation where they have to miss a free throw in that spot, the idiot chucks it up and throws it up against the backboard instead of forgetting the rule. Hey, you idiot! You gotta hit the rim if you want to intentionally miss a free throw. You donkey! Yet DeMarcus Cousins now is going to sit up here and lecture America on how to criticize basketball players when he doesn't even know the, his, the rules of his own sport that he plays. Shut up, DeMarcus Cousins. How about open up the rule book first and worry about knowing the scenario on when, when, and when and how to intentionally miss a free throw instead of being the social media police. Do your own job right before you start criticizing people that do theirs. Idiot doesn't even know the rules of his own freaking sport that he plays. That the Marcus Cousins now is going to be the social media and the sports journalism police. What is he, Bob Costas all of a sudden? Give me a break. More with the I'm Telling You Tell podcast right after this. Welcome back to the Amatelica Terriers podcast. Switching gears now to tennis for a quick minute because you had a big development within the sport uh, within the last 24 hours, and that is the fact that tennis great Serena Williams had to drop out of the, in the first round of the 2021 Wimbledon Championships tournament um, to, I'm not even going to bother to try to pronounce her opponent, because if I do, I'd be spitting all over myself and spending 50 minutes on trying to pronounce her name correctly. But she retired in the first game. It was 3-3 even uh, in the first in the first set of her match and hadn't slipped. Because uh, I guess uh, in Wimbledon that, you know, it's, of course, it's rainy. It's that, it's that wet, damp uh, type of environment over there. But she slipped on the grass court and had to withdraw, or the, the official tennis term is to retire and not go on. Um, Serena, who was still t- chasing Margaret Court with that record, um, who has not won a major since uh, 
since uh, the Australian Open, I forget the exact year, but the Australian Open prior to when she gave birth to a daughter, when she was pregnant with her daughter, she has not won since since her daughter's been here on this earth. She hasn't won a she hasn't won a thing. Um, she turns four, she turns forty years old in September, um, and you know has did not the closest she's gotten close many a time. She's been in a couple of finals, of course the Osaka one back in. 2000 and I believe it was a night was it not it was either night no it was um the Osaka final in 2000 in eight in 2018 you know she lost that she lost in the semifinals to Osaka back in uh back in February uh in the French Open she got knocked out in the French Open she got knocked out in the fourth round um, so she and go back to 2020 in uh, what a funk year that was. She got knocked out in the she uh, it was a walkover in the second round in the French Open uh, last fall last fall um, in 2020 in the U.S. Open. She got knocked out by Azarenka in the U.S. Open in the semifinals. Um, Australian Open and Australian Open, she got knocked out in the third round. So she has, you know, so, and then in 2019, uh, the, her previous, prior to this year, her previous uh, shot at Wimbledon, she got knocked out in the final by Halep uh, in the Wimbledon final uh, in straight sets, 6 2 6 2. And her, prior to this year, her last Wimbledon appearance in 2019, she made it all the way to the final and lost. Um, U.S. Open final in 2019, and she went to the got to the finals back back years failed to win. She lost in straight sets in 2000 in the 2019 U.S. Open final. Um, got knocked out. Um, and got knocked out by Halep, of course, in the final in Wimbledon in 2019. Got knocked out in the third round in the French in 2019. Um and got knocked out in the quarterfinals in the 2019 Australian Open. So she's, you know, you figure that at some point in your career, you know, you're where you get to a certain point in your career where you're chasing ghosts, where you're, where you're chasing and aspiring to do something that really, you know, that really is not that's not meant for you to have and not meant for you to accomplish. If the court, if the of getting to if getting Margaret Court. Is that a ghost? Who knows? Tiger Woods, uh, when it comes to golf and him, I believe he's chasing Nicholas um, for for the for the majors. Is that a ghost? And Tiger Woods in the long rehab he has to accomplish with the with the car accident that he suffered back in February with two broken legs. Is he chasing ghosts at that point in his career? Who knows? Is Serena doing the same thing? Who knows? Um, but you get the feeling, uh, but you get the feeling that Serena, you know, golf, golf, you can still thrive, you know, in your forties, Phil Mickelson, case in point, 50 years old, won the U S open championship at the end of the month of, at the, uh, the end of the month of, uh, it was either at the end of May, end of May, early June, he won, he's 50 years of age, you know, certain courses, you know, Tiger Woods, he won uh, the Masters a few years ago when he was, I believe, uh, he was in his, he was either 43 or 44 years of age, so golf's a little different, you know, you're not as dominant as you were when you were younger, but, but there, but it's happened many a times in golf, 
winning majors, uh, winning ma- winning the major championships and the major tournaments in your 40s. Phil Mickelson being the most recent and the case in point. Tennis, not the same thing. A little bit more physical. It's a more physically demanding sport than golf is because because you're running you're running back and forth all over the court. Your arms getting worn out because you got to swing the tennis racket a thousand times. You got to jump and use your shoulder and your arm and you play tennis to serve. And at this point, and at this point, Serena's career knocking on uh, knocking on forty years of age this upcoming September. I understand that that her that her and her LeBron, Tiger and Brady, who are all a part of, I believe, is Generation X. If I'm not mistaken, I believe they're all a part of Generation X, who are all born in the same time frame of each other, mid late seventies to in Serena's in Serena LeBron's case, the early eighties. So they're all part of the same generation, and they all have that have that mindset as all being the icons of their sport who have dominated it uh, from the 2000s all the way here as we're in the early part of the 2020s. They all have taken on that mindset of age ain't nothing but a number. I can still dominate and, 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 uh, and, and kick my, and kick my competition all over the court, all over the field, all over the golf course, all over the tennis court. Even as I'm in, even, even if I'm in my forties or in LeBron's case, in my mid to late thirties, I can still dominate as good as I was back in my quote unquote heyday. But Maybe Serena, maybe Serena, and probably Tiger Woods are going to be the two guys that are, that you know, father, you know, father time is undefeated regardless who you are. You know, Michael Jordan didn't play forever. You know, Michael Jordan wasn't winning championships in Washington Wizards jerseys when I was when I was a newborn. I can guarantee you that. So you wonder if father time or mother time, whatever you want to call it, has probably. And most likely caught up to Serena at this point in her career. In her career, has not won a championship since it was the 18 Australian Open. It's not coming to me since the 18 Australian Open has not won since she's been a mother officially. Has not uh, has not won in quite a long time. Gotten to many a final Osaka a cu- Osaka a couple got to a U.S. Open a uh, Wimbledon final and lost back to back. Um and gotten knocked out early in straight in straight sets a couple of times in the last year or so and then of course has slips and injures herself and has to drop out in the very first round of Wimbledon here in 2021 and you know not 40 is about what about two months about two months or so away from her hey it, it happens it happens to it happens to the great ones serena is obviously in the conversation of the tiger brady and lebron category as the greatest as the greatest professional athletes all all time slash of their current generation of the young 21st century maybe maybe serena's the first one that father times that father times going to uh father times going to get you know so you know Brady's going at Brady's going at forty three. LeBron's going at what thirty six, soon to be thirty seven. Uh, Tiger won a Masters in his Tiger won the Masters at, in his early early mid forties. Serena soon to be forty, the the youngest one out of the uh, well not the youngest one but soon to be forty. You wonder if the writing's on the wall and and if she has anything left.
it'd be a shame because, you know, because she's gotten to the doorstep many a times and has not, uh, and has not been able to, uh, to reach that mountaintop, but, but you never know. Maybe may, may, if she, if she keep, I mean, she was teary eyed walking off the court. So maybe, you know, Serena, who I love, you know, fantastic tennis, fantastic tennis player, whole nine yards and is a legend. She has a little bit of a tendency to be a little bit theatrical. I, I get that. I understand all that. Uh, so, so how to read how she acted when she walked off the court in Wimbledon, you, you, to a certain degree, got to take it with a grain of salt because eventually the 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 dog the dog and the ultimate competitor in her is going to be like that. I'm not going out like this. I'm a still I'm still keep going at it. But maybe she sees the writing on the wall that maybe her days are numbered. And the only person that knows, and the only uh, people that know, the only two uh, beings that know that is her and God that know whether or not uh, her, whether or not she's finished as far as her. Uh, pro tennis career is concerned. Not like golf, where you can continue to play. You know, Phil Mickelson up till fifty years of age won the U.S. Open. Brady, I, I football understands a more physically taxing taxing sport than tennis is. But you know, but but Brady with the TB12 stuff and the fact that you can barely touch the quarterback anymore nowadays, and the fact that Brady all, ne- rarely hits the ground and gets sacked nowadays anymore. You factor that into the equation. Um, not the not to mention it's not a knock on Serena, but you know Brady didn't get did, Brady didn't physically give birth to any children. Serena did, which I would imagine. And I'm no doctor, I'm no biolog- uh, biologist, but I would imagine that once you have a kid, uh, being a female, that your body, uh, your body is never this is never the same for better, for better and for worse. I'm not disputing that knocking her by any stretch of the imagination. But still, you know, uh, Woods, LeBron, and Brady never physically gave birth to a child. Serena did, so I'd imagine that that you know her body has 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 is has not been the same prior to prior to uh, prior to her giving birth to a kid. But you wonder if uh, but but you wonder if her days are numbered. Be ashamed because she is one hell of a tennis tennis player. And has been a treat to the few times that I've actually sat down and watched her play a test match. It's been an absolute treat to watch. You know, Serena. Serena, in my eyes, I look at Serena the same way I look at Tiger Woods in golf. I would not have. I would not have an interest in any of those two sports if it wasn't for those two individuals and the absolute dominance that they have had on this sport since, for the better part of the last. Well, nineteen ninety six. When did Serena go? When did Serena go pro? I I should know that. Uh, when did she go pro? Uh, I know Tiger has been around. I'd I'd say for the sake of conversation, better part of the last twenty five years. Both of those two have dominated their individual sport for the better part of the last twenty five years. And again, if it wasn't for them, I could give two you know what's about golf and tennis if it were not for those two individuals tiger hate to make this conversation about him a little bit but with the two broken legs who knows serena 40 years of age this upcoming september who knows but it's shame that you know she had that unfortunate accident in wimbledon the last day and she or uh, excuse me yesterday and she had to drop out but that's the way it goes 
Take a break. I will get to the NBA coaching carousel with Chauncey Bullops and Jason Kidd to close out the program. This is the Until the TIS podcast back after this. Welcome back to the Amatilakatelius podcast. Closing out the show uh, with some NBA coaching news. Um, Chauncey Bullops is the new uh, Trailblazers head coach. Met with a lot of, I'll say, controversy because, you know, you was hearing the talks that Becky Hammond, who is uh, the um, under the, uh, the Popovich coaching tree, um, who was rumored to be interviewed and uh, well, not rumored to be interviewed, but was interviewed and rumored to be a, uh, to fill up one of these NBA head coaching vacancies and lo and behold, she didn't get the job and Chauncey Bullops did. And thus you have uh, allegations. Uh, something happened with him in 1997, as far as, uh, as far as uh, misconduct amongst women, and you have that controversy brewing, and then of course you hear news that well, because the controversy brewing and all this, Dame Dillard, Damian Lillard might want out, um, which I have to see to believe. You know, you heard, you know, you heard for months that Russell Wilson was going to be out the door. Russell Wilson is is there alive, was there alive and well during OTAs, and will be. Wearing the Seattle Seahawks uh, navy blue and neon green uh, for the Seahawks come week one uh, and will be there for the foreseeable future. And that was much to do about nothing. I didn't see Russell Wilson going anywhere and he didn't. You heard all this, you know, you heard talk about Jimmy Garoppolo going somewhere. He's he's going to be the San Francisco 49er quarterback in week one. Uh, you're hearing all this stuff about Aaron Rodgers, or you have been essentially since a few hours, since about six, uh, since about five o'clock prior to the NFL draft on the 29th of April. You've been hearing enough but Aaron Rodgers chit chat, and either two things going to happen with him: either he quits or he's going to be in a Packers uniform come Week One. I do not see him. I do not see him outside of a Green Bay Packer uniform under any circumstances. Everyone swore up and down that Deshaun Watson was going to be in a Houston Texan uniform. Now, if Deshaun Watson is blessed enough to play football in the 2021 season, you bet your ass is going to be with the uh, with the Houston Texans because he has no other choice. And in the situation that he's in right now, he has zero leverage to see if he can force his way to see if he can force his way out of out of town. And I got on him, and I like Deshaun Watson, but I got on him especially because he signed a contract extension literally days before the Texan season kicked off on the road uh, against Kansas City and Arrowhead. And he put pen to paper being a Houston Texan for life. Then he realized that Billy O is is indeed a hack who has no business being an NFL head coach and the and the Houston Texans is a complete mess. And this is after they traded uh, DeAndre Hopkins for a bag of, uh, of uh, spicy nacho Doritos. 
when the when a pandemic first started, uh, and, and he still signed pen and paper. And if Deshaun Watson is blessed enough again to play football in 2021, it is going to be with the Houston Texans organization. So you're hearing all this chit chat, and Dame Lillard, who loves Portland, loves the appears uh, you know he loves the franchise, loves the fan base, and loves the fact that he's the only, that he is literally the man in the city of Portland and he and he's against the super team stuff and everybody else but now it's rumored rumored not not from him or an agent or anybody else some some uh some little source within the Portland Trailblazers camp that Dame could one out I'll believe it when I see it Chauncey Bullops ugh it, it's uh you know in this day and age with the Me Too stuff and Becky Hammond, who 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 deserves a shot under don't get who who absolutely positively deserves a shot, uh, and I understand it looks bad that you hire a guy that's got that has a shady past. Granted, nineteen ninety seven, but still a shady. You know when Dame Lillard was you know was 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 uh was in grade school. So it's so it's it, it, you know he should know because I would because at this point when he's the guy and in his day and age where. Where where the star player is the de facto GM slash president of the team, you know Dame should you know on the when the uh, when the GM or the owner whoever is responsible for hiring these coaches, they you know they run it by Dame you know to see who you know and and again it, his season was over so he's got plenty of time to go through you know who their next uh, coaches is going to be so. He should, you know, if he if he wants that responsibility of, of of being the voice in the room of deciding who the coach is, you can't sit up here and have and be the voice and and decide and not go through and not put both and not jump into the deep end of the pool, so to speak, and essentially, you know, do the background checks and the history and and be thorough as far as finding a coach that you want for the next seasons and for the next. Uh, for the 2021-22 season and beyond, and not essentially do and be thorough about it and not do the homework. So, so I on one hand I understand Dame's point. You know he was in grade school when this thing with Bullops came about. But yet, if you want to be, but at the same time, if you want to be fully involved in the process of selecting a new coach, you know you gotta make sure your eyes are dotted and your T's are crossed, and make sure you go over every single detail if you want to be involved in the process of selecting a new uh, head coach for your basketball team. So, so, so you, you gave Dame a little bit, not much, but a little bit benefit of the doubt, and this is just a good lesson for next time. You know that you want to be thorough and make sure that you don't hire a coach that you're not passing up on a female coach to hire a coach that has that has had his uh, issues and has had his own episodes of controversy regarding women. So just that's just a, a little uh, uh, post-it note as far as for Damian Lillard if he's ever met with that situation again. Uh, and then of course the map and I believe and I believe Damian Lillard once out of uh, of the port once out of Portland when I see it. I again the the NBA season we haven't had we haven't hit the NBA finals yet and the season you know the season is is about two weeks and a half from being officially over yet. Off season hasn't begun yet. I and the dr- draft has has not has not uh, approached this yet. I will believe Damian Lillard once out of Portland when I see it. I will believe it when I see it. 
And then, of course, Jason Kidd, who was the Dallas Mavericks' new head coach. Um, he, of course, played for Dallas in the back in the, his and he, of course, played for Dallas uh, twice in his career from 94 to 96. And in 2008 to 2012 as a player, Jason Kidd gets the nod to see if he can get Luca and company over the hump and what will be a very competitive Western Conference in the NBA in the foot in the 2021-2022 season and beyond. So, and that is where you stand as far as the NBA coaching carousel, quote-unquote, is concerned. And that is your show, and that is an episode of the Amatelica TIS podcast in the books. If you like what you heard and new to the program, please subscribe. Listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star rating if you shall wish. It's your boy, Jai Shields. I will talk to you on Saturday. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Jay Shield. Follow the show on Instagram at Amatella underscore podcast and the show on Twitter at Amatella underscore it. T-I is. Thanks for the belated birthday. Uh, shout out Joy Taylor. I see you, girl. Talk to you Saturday. See you.